Hi, Bloomers. It's Wendy, and you're listening to Bloom with Flores. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode, where we have the privilege of speaking with Amber about her journey through fallopian tube removal surgery. Join us as we navigate through the emotional and physical aspects of her experience, delving into the potential impacts on fertility and gaining insights into the considerations that both the individual and their healthcare providers contemplate during this significant procedure. Let's get started. Hi, Amber. Thank you for joining me on today's podcast. In 2023, we all experienced our highs and lows, but your journey looked a little bit different. I'm eager to delve into the details of your surgery, which has led to our discussion today. So without further ado, please feel free to introduce yourself. Thank you so much for having me. Um, My name is Amber, and I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. So Amber, explain to us what transpired in early 2023. Yeah, so um, actually, after I had my son in 2019, I had experienced some abdominal pains uh, where I couldn't sleep and I knew something was wrong because normally my pain tolerance is quite high. So I went to the hospital, got some scans done, and they noticed a shadow over my liver. So I immediately went into like panic mode, doing all the things, checking everything. Um, and because I was a nurse for 10 years, I had that connection. So I started to ask questions on what I should do next. Um, So I arranged an MRI with one of the surgeons that I had worked over a decade with uh, just to check out what the shadow was. And they ended up finding a tumor on my liver. um, And it was because of long-term birth control use. So I had been on birth control since the age of 12. um, And now late in my 30s, um, the hormones in the birth controls actually fed like skin tissues on my liver and caused a tumor. Um, I've had two MRIs, it's benign, uh, we are good. And I actually had a liver biopsy done, but that was because um, I really had to step into the role of taking over my own health, get off the birth control and make the decision um, to no longer have children. Okay, so- Tell us what the discussion looked like with your family, yourself, I guess, and your partner uh, when you decided to make this decision. I guess it was for health-related issues? Yes, yeah. It was because I could no longer take any type of birth control contraceptive just because the hormones with my body didn't agree, um, and it was doing more harm than good, and it had the potential to run into something where I wouldn't be here. Um, And so we spent probably probably over a year and a half talking like with my husband um, about the decision on what to do because we have two children 14 and four so I really had to sit down and talk to him and say look like is this something that you want to do do you want to have more kids I didn't want him to resent me I wanted him to be a part of uh, the process, but at the same time, I needed him to understand where I was coming from in terms of my health, and he was fully supportive, no questions asked. We want to have a good quality of life for our boys and ourselves, and that's where we made the choice to no longer have any more kids. And so, speaking with my doctors and my specialists, the safest route for me was to have both of my fallopian tubes removed. Um, and at that point, it was. I get emotional because 
society always prepares you for your first, right? And then you have your first. And as soon as you have your first, they're already asking you, when are you having another one? And then you have your second. And then they're already asking you, oh my God, I have two boys. So there's, when are you going to have your little girl? Uh, but I don't think society prepares women and families for your last. And we had to make that choice where I have to put my health first and be here for my family. So that means I can't have any more kids. And it was hard because as a woman, you feel like your role in the world is to reproduce and um, to be a mother. But I've already contributed that part to society. So now I was ready to become more healthy and watch what I was eating, watch what I was consuming, being more aware. So that way I could be the optimal version of myself for my kids as well as my partner. And, and in the end, we made the right choice. And I know that I'm still going to be here for my kids and I'm healthy and I no longer have that cloud of the unknown hanging over me because I was an advocate in my own health. And when I got the surgery done and when I was arranging it, I actually had another specialist come in and do a liver biopsy uh, just to make sure that I could have that peace of mind that nothing else was brewing. Right. Thank you for sharing that. That's so <laughs> raw. And, and I feel like I feel the same. I have the same sentiment as you because I also had a similar process done but after discussing your options with your healthcare providers, did they say a partial or a full removal was necessary? A full removal was necessary um, just from past medical history within my family, um, from research that they had done. Um, and yeah. So, what were the uh, emotional and psychological thoughts before the surgery, before the process? Because it, there's obviously the leading up to but then you're actually there the day of. What did yeah. that look like? I think it was, I, I had an easier route towards surgery because I was a surgical nurse for 10 years. So I knew that I was safe. I knew that they know what they're doing. They, they're constantly monitoring you. So I wasn't worried about my safety. I was more feeling in terms of, am I going to be a woman, quote unquote, after this surgery? right? I'm removing my woman parts. Yeah. So I felt like I had to battle internally. I need to be healthy and present right now for my family and not be concerned on what the societal boxes want to throw us in, in terms of, well, you should be reproducing. You're, you're able to have more kids. You should be having more children. So I really had to separate myself from that and say, you know what, I'm going to stand in my own power and I'm this is what I need to do for me. This is my story. And more, um, like I said, be a strong advocate. We live, and despite everything going on right now in, in the world, we do live in a beautiful country where we can be advocates to our own health. Absolutely. So 
I had a client that I was talking to yesterday. She's 19. She struggled with um, really bad period pains. Mm. She's been put on birth control for that, which a lot of us women are as, as young adults, when you have hormonal acne or bad periods and they want to regulate you, they throw you on these birth control pills. She's still having problems with having bad periods. And her doctor is just prescribing her pain medication. And I said, you need to go to a gynecologist and advocate for your care and so she right now I'm trying to help her advocate for herself because I I feel like people almost think that they are stuck in what somebody's going to tell you what to do and that's not the case it's especially not here in Canada I can't speak for anywhere else unfortunately but here you have the power to take control you took a more holistic approach uh post-op I did can you can you tell us about that yeah. So um, after my surgery, I was actually shocked that they had prescribed me hydromorphone and uh, Percocets. And I was like, I have never taken a narcotic. And my background as a nurse, I was like, uh, this is very extreme. Like hydromorphone is like 10 times stronger than morphine. What's going on here? And so I was like, I'm not taking any of that. And the doctors were like, no, you need to take it. You're going to be in pain. And I said, fine, I'll take the prescription, but I never filled it. So I started using um, my own products, actually. Um, and they were just holistic ingredients in terms of anti-inflammatories, um, some terpene drops for comfort and pain, um, some collagen, some medical grade liquid collagen to heal those tendons and ligaments after having that internal surgery. And I'm not kidding you. you my husband was like, it's day one and you were like up moving around. Like, can you relax? You just had surgery like last night. And I was like, I'm fine. Like, I'm good. I, I feel like you, you have to take control and kind of when you, you know, when you're sick and you're like just laying in bed and you're like, I don't feel good. You're still going to be sick. So when you approach it from a way where I, I'm not going to, you know, become distracted with narcotics and feeling good, just be becoming controlled by the medications that they wanted to yeah. put me on. Um, it felt really empowering to have natural supplements and give your body what decades ago, like our ancestors used to use. So for surgery is invasive, right? So for yeah. our listeners, can you give us sort of the Coles notes on the type of surgery that you had and uh, how it was performed? So it was all done laparoscopically, which means they don't actually need to cut you open. Um, they can use this beautiful technology to only do uh, like it's like one to two centimeter slits um, where they can insert little probes. And then they use a camera to envision inside of me where my uterus was to cut, burn, and remove the fallopian tubes through the small incisions. And same thing with the liver biopsy. It was a quick cut. And I knew the knowledge of me going under anesthetic. It, it's always a great risk when you do that. So mm -hmm. why not kill two birds with one stone? I don't have to come back and go under anesthetic. Let's just do it at the same time. And it was quick. I think it was like less than 45 minutes. So with the advancements of technology, um, going laparoscopically, I think would be the way to go. However, if you are um, having surgery or arranging surgery, it could be different for you. It could look different for you based on your past medical history, your weight, 
um, what your doctors and your specialists feel is a safer approach for you. So it's all personal, but definitely discuss instead of having an open surgery, which just means there will be a large uh, uh, incision um, to advocate for laparoscopic. But majority of the time, surgeons and specialists will go laparoscopic because it's less invasive um, and it's just a lot faster. And the healing time is way better as well. So that was my next question. Can you discuss the physical recovery part of it? How long yeah. did that? How long should it take, and how long did it take you? Uh, on average, a laparoscopic may take up to six to eight weeks. There's definitely no heavy lifting. There's precautions like pushing, pulling, nothing over five pounds. Um, you definitely want to walk it off because it's an abdominal gastrointestinal surgery. You want to make sure that you're passing gas, you're following the diet that they told you because they've slowed your intestinal tract down. So you don't want to come out of the hospital because you're starving and go eat a full on meal. You want to slowly advance your diet. So being very careful and mindful of listening to your instructions from the surgeon and your nurses. Um, and for me, it was just a lot of bloating, which I was able to handle again with holistic ingredients, detox teas. I did a lot of walking um, just to make sure that I was passing gas, paying attention to your stool. I know a lot of people don't like to talk about their bowel movements, but they tell you a lot about your body. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'm just so comfortable because I was a nurse, but it's, they tell you so much about your body if you just pay attention to it. So I think just being very mindful of the instructions and not having that stubborn old school mentality where it's like, I'm okay. I, I can, I can eat that. I'll be okay. And then you end up putting yourself back. <laughs> <laughs> so have you dealt with any long-term effects from the surgery? Not at all. Not at all. I think more, actually, there's a psychological point of it when you've been taking birth control for 20 years, it's like, you're like, oh my God, I need to take my pill. And you're like, no, wait, I don't have to take a pill anymore. Or, you know, when you're, you're intimate and you're thinking, oh, wait, did I take my pill? And you're like, no, I don't have to worry about that anymore. So I think there's just that piece of like being in that repetition and just doing something constant that you have to let go and be comfortable and okay with. Um, the biggest thing for me, I think, is the communication piece and really elaborating to the people you care most about. Um, because some people in my family, they weren't really uh, supportive in my decision, but they don't understand what's going on health wise. They don't understand my thoughts. They don't have to live in my life. So just, just staying true to yourself and just saying, this is what I'm doing for me. Yeah. And how can partners and family members support women emotionally during the process of post-surgery, something like this? I think just more asking them what they need, not what you think they need, not what society has allowed us to assume that women need. Let them speak for themselves and ask them, you know, communicate. Like, can you openly tell me without judgment how you're feeling? It's okay to feel like that, you know, and not placing the pressures on us to be the perfect wife, the perfect mom. Oh, you must do this. You know what I mean? Like for me, mm -hmm. I was like, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to clean my house. Who's going to clean my house? Who's going to do the laundry? I can't carry anything. I can't, you know, I shouldn't be up moving around. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. And it's like, don't worry about it. Like 
what do you need? I'll come drop it off, you know, and communicating that being okay with not always being the one in control. So saying, Hey, like, do you mind? Can you drop off a meal? Like asking for help, being mm -hmm. okay to ask for help. Cause I think a lot of us are as women, we're perfectionists. And if we can't do it ourselves, we're like, I'm not going to tell anybody, anybody, anything. I'm just going to, I'm going to struggle silently. And I think it's like, we, we got to just open up and be honest and say, Hey, I need some help. Please help me. Instead of resenting your partner or your family for not helping you say, can you please just help me with the laundry? I would really appreciate it. Things like that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what support systems are typically in place after a surgery like this? I guess a follow-up with your a physician. I don't know if it's the OB or your family physician. Yeah, it'll be follow-up with your your surgeon, um, your OB-GYNE, given the type of surgery, but you should be following up with your surgeon. There will be like, majority of hospitals now have like a post-op clinic where a nurse will actually call you a couple of days after your surgery to see how you're doing. Um, and then I think the biggest thing would be your family and like confiding in your partner about how you're really feeling. Like if you're feeling lack of, of women terms, or you're feeling like, you know, communication, that's my biggest thing is communication. Like I spent almost two years communicating the fact that like, I hope you understand we will never have children. And I don't want you later on to think or to be like, I would love another child and I can't give that to you. And that causes tension and issues and silent resentment, which leads to a lot of people break up in the relationship because they resent each other and they don't talk about things that make them uncomfortable. So did you consider any support groups for women or did you discuss this with girlfriends? No, actually, I no. actually, I really didn't. I, I did, did a lot of self healing, like inner, inner healing work, uh, meditation. I'm big on journaling. I'm big on if there's something that I'm uncomfortable with, I kind of journal it out to kind of release it to the universe type of thing. Um, that that's my biggest support system. So no, actually, I didn't, I didn't really confide in anyone like women wise or support groups, but that would have probably been a good idea. <laughs> Sometimes there's support groups on um, Facebook. I find there's a lot of them there. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, if you, if you did it on your own and with your partner, then, you know, that's, that's just as, as good as well. Right. Yeah. So what advice do you have for someone who will be undergoing a surgery like this? I think my biggest advice would be communicate, release everything, especially if you have questions or concerns, write them down. Because when we get emotional, our minds don't wire the same and we may forget things. And then we're just like, okay, it's okay. I'll just talk about it later. And then you might end up regretting that. So understanding the process would be number one ask questions what are you going to do how does the surgery work they they will love to sit down and explain things to you but patients don't ask those kind of questions what kind of medications are you giving me what side effects will i feel what complications could possibly arise what are the things i should look for after surgery um, and explore your options like surgery for me was the way i had to go mm -hmm. um 
I think people should explore their options. Maybe they may not have to do surgery, but if you do, um, just be an advocate for yourself. Don't let anybody tell you what they think you should do. You know your body, follow that little, you know, gut feeling or that feeling you get in your solar plexus chest area. If something's a good idea or a bad idea, follow yourself because your inner guidance is going to lead you to, to your optimal level of health all the time. Yeah. So the other thing is when you're in a monogamous relationship, um, sex looks a little different now, right? Now that you don't have to worry about protection or it's more enjoyable, I find, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The intimacy is definitely different. You don't have that, um, you know, worry or fear that you're going to get pregnant or have an unwanted pregnancy over your head. So I think that is definitely a benefit. Um, and, and the cost, right? I mean, like paying for something monthly, like, let me put that into my savings account instead of feeding the pharmaceutical (laughs) companies more money. (laughs) For sure. For sure. (laughs) So Amber, what does your life look like now? Um, I'm enjoying it. I'm very, very much uh, over quality, like quality of life. Like how can we, I think COVID, if anything COVID taught us, life is very short, right? And there's things that happen that we don't have control over. But what you do have control over is your own life and your own happiness and how you choose to use your time. And I think for me, I'm just so excited to almost get a, a second, second wind, I should say at life. Like, I've been given a second chance. And so it's like, okay, what can we do together? How can we spend more time together? What is on your bucket list? Where do you want to go? Let's enjoy life while we are here, you know? Mm -hmm. So that would be my biggest thing is, you know, I, I had the power to take control over my health and it's just a breath of fresh air. It's a peace of mind you know, if you want to know something about your body, then seek out a specialist, do your research, go to your family doctor and say, Hey, I've already done the work for you. I've researched this person. The reviews are amazing. Can you send me a referral to this person, please? They're accepting new patients. I already called the office. Do, you know, do your due diligence. So that way you, you can have an amazing life that makes you happy. That's personal to you. That's beautiful. So is there any finishing remarks that you have for our listeners? Um, no, I think I've, I've rep- repeated it more than enough. I think just you have the power. You you have the power to become a more healthier version of you. There's so much research. The internet is amazing if you use it properly. Um, be more mindful of who you surround yourself with, what you are reading, what you are listening to, and be an advocate for your health. If you feel like something's not right, you better tell them, listen, I feel it in my heart. Something's not right. Can we please look into it and just keep repeating it and go and find somebody who will listen to you. Somebody out there will listen to you and and never stop until they do. Amazing. And this is from a nurse. This is coming from a nurse. <laughs> yes. Yes. Be an advocate for your health. They don't, a lot of people think like, I'm just a patient. I'm just a citizen. No, we live in a beautiful country where you are an advocate for your health. You just have to voice it, just voice it and, and stay, stand firm in your beliefs in your own body. Okay. Well, Amber, thank you for your candidness today. It was amazing having you as a guest. 
and I look forward to more conversations. Yes, thank you so much for, for having me here. I'm so excited. Thank you. I really appreciate your time. Well, there you have it, Bloomers. As we conclude this episode, I want to express our heartfelt gratitude to Amber for generously sharing her journey through her fallopian tube removal surgery and providing valuable insights. Her openness contributes significantly to our understanding of this medical experience, and we appreciate her willingness to shed light on such a personal aspect of her life. We'd love to hear your stories. Feel free to share your personal journeys in the comments or via our social media channel. Your stories inspire us and help us grow together as a community of bloomers. Stay tuned for more content, and until next time, keep blooming.